The Doctrine of God in Daily Living, on this edition of Truth in Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth in Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. Today, I'm so excited to have with us maybe one of my most favorite folks in our organization, Dr. George Scipioni. He's still teaching as a professor of biblical counseling at Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's taught in numerous places, not just in the U.S., but uh, over the world. And he was uh, a fellow even from the beginning. And I love to just sit at the beginning room. of the movement, not 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 the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at, at the beginning of the biblical counseling movement in 1976, and I love to be in a room with him to talk about the history of our movement and uh, what he saw unfold and his experiences. And today, he's going to help us walk through some of. Uh, the ideas that I think are quite critical and pertinent relative to our cultural standing even now. It, it seems, Dr. Scipioni, that we certainly in our culture have lost the fear of God. And maybe what's more concerning is not just in the culture at large. It seems that we've lost some of these ideas even in the church. I think you're absolutely right. People are asking questions today like, is the Pope really Catholic when he doesn't act like a Catholic Pope? Uh, are evangelical Christians really evangelical? You know, Wells and others have written dozens of books on this, but the reality is that people have uh, a designer view of God. They call it the Mr. Potato Head view of God. Mm. We take the attributes like, pop it into our view of God, and voila, we think that that's the, the God. But that's more like Psalm 115, mm. they that make them become like them. Mm-hmm. It's the living God that we have to reflect or we're going to be reflecting the culture. Yeah, that's right. So when we think about the doctrine of God, what happens, it seems, where we lose the fear of God is we begin to separate what we think about God almost as an intellectual pursuit, something that we, we know in our minds, and we often lose sight of how that doctrine of God and the belief of who God really is plays out in our daily life. Talk about how necessary it is for those two things to be wed together in our culture. Well, I... It won't be in the culture if it isn't in the church, because we're the ones that are supposed to have the new creation in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And um, as I point out to people, most of the people in the Bible that meet God face to face think they're going to die. Mm -hmm. They're not high-fiving him. They're not putting on the sneakers in the gym with him. You know, Jesus and me, we're this, you know, we're, we're buds. There's none of that in the Bible. You know, you can go through that, you know, Manoah, Gideon. Isaiah, Moses at the bush, they all think, man, I'm undone. I'm going to fall apart uh, because they've, they've seen the glory of the Lord. And that's exactly what John picks up. He says, you know, Isaiah saw this. He saw his glory, the glory of Jesus Christ way back in, in his day. And that's, that's who Jesus is, the glory of God. And people mistaken the fear of God for an abject fear that Satan and the demons have. You know, they're orthodox in their theology, but they they aren't going to repent. Mm -hmm. You know, James argues, you believe in God, the real God? Good. The devils do too, Mm -hmm. but they tremble. So that's what's been missing is that God, you're right, is an intellectual idea, or I grew up with this and it's true. 
oh, you need to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, what does that mean for most people? Jesus is there to save me because I'm the center of the universe. And to be honest, we, we know that the prosperity doctrine is a false doctrine, but most people have that buried in their hearts. Hey, as long as God's blessing, I'm on board. As soon as God makes something hard happen to me, I'm looking for the exit. That reminds me of the, the parable of the seed and the sower, where we, we hear the word of God and we experience those things that are difficult or we have love and care and concern for the things of the world and we, we do not persevere. When we think about this idea of the doctrine of God and, and who God is, we as human beings are, we are dependent beings upon God who is an independent being. And it's necessary that if we don't understand him, we cannot understand us. So talk us through a little bit about the important aspects of how we in the church return to teaching properly a doctrine of God that's actually living, that's true to the scriptures, where the Spirit of God can guide us into teaching and empower us to, to obey? A good question. I think uh, it goes back to the Old Testament, which is picked up by Jesus and the apostles. You know, Deuteronomy hammers away, don't add or subtract from the word, and then don't deviate to the left, to the right. Mm. And since we all have things that we find hard in Scripture or things that we don't feel comfortable with, we tend to shave those off or not emphasize them. I think, uh, without going to long excursus, but preaching and counseling has to be balanced. We have to preach the whole counsel of God in the whole of the books of the Bible and present the individual passages there. And I think I'm afraid what's happened somewhat in the biblical counseling movement, because we always get pushed back from secularists and Christian counselors, is we become problem-oriented instead of God-oriented. So again, functionally, we don't mean to, but God's there to take care of my problem and fix me or fix my marriage. And it just boils down to the first four commandments. That's the greatest commandment. Then the other six. And if you put the other six before the first four, you've kind of reversed God's order. And I think that we get out of sync. So we don't really, I th well, the danger is we counsel and we preach for our own joy and the help of the people we're helping, which is okay. But if it isn't to honor God, it's not going to work. That's right. And you think about the implications of all that you're describing for counseling. I mean, when we're, when we're in the counseling room, we're dealing with some of the residual effects of us not thinking about God properly, mm -hmm. us not living according to his word daily. And so describe for us just a little bit about the implications and what they look like in the counseling room. You know, that's multifaceted, depending on the person in the situation. For example, you know, if a person is living in sin, they're a professing believer, they know it's wrong, they're not stopping. Well, the emphasis has to be on repentance. It has to be on God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he'll reap, even if you're a Christian. 1 Corinthians 11, some of you are weak, sick, and some of you are asleep. Not because the pastor has boring sermons, but because they're dead. Uh, and he says, God judges you, so he won't have to condemn you along with the world. That's another thing we hear today. God doesn't judge the church. Sheesh. You look at the Old Testament people of God, I mean, he, all the time. <laughs> so what's Reteviev saying, Fiddler's Roof? Well, if that's what it is to be God's people, let him choose someone else for a while. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is God does discipline his people, and 
we think, okay, I'm getting out of hell, everything's fine. No. You know, you'll read those seven churches in Revelation. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'll praise you for this, but I'm going to ding you for this. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what has to happen in the counseling room where someone who is living in sin, I had a pastor once who said, I know, I know I'm sinning, but I'm going to divorce my wife and marry this other woman, and God's going to forgive me. And I just said, really? And I, I read Deuteronomy to him and Hebrews and said, look, give me a 20-minute head start because when this is going to be the epicenter of God's wrath mm. and there could be collateral damage. So mm. give me a 20-minute head start <laughs> so when God starts dealing with you, I don't get dinged. Mm. Uh, that man had to be confronted. You can't mock God. Mm-hmm. Someone who's been molested who thinks it's all their fault or whatever, hey, you know, they don't, they don't believe that God can be merciful to, to a, you know, a tainted project. Mm-hmm. No, no. God cares for the downtrodden. So it always becomes an individualized, what are the passages and concepts of Scripture and aspects of God's whole character that needs to be applied to this person at this conjunction in this time? And that's why I think counseling is more difficult than preaching. I tell the guys all the time at seminary, you pick one passage, you try to apply it to everybody. Mm-hmm. This person comes in, you got to apply the whole Bible to this whole person mm-hmm. in this context, and and you're scrambling all over the place. It's it's just not a one one passage kind of deal. Well, I appreciate the multifaceted way that you describe that because sometimes the way we are criticized is that we have one basic vein in which we think of, and it's always to um, confront these people in this particular sin. But we see the Bible is certainly primarily against sin and these issues, and this is what the doctrine of God is about. But we also know um, that they're, the truths about God are comforting to the broken. Amen. And so it's Amen. critical that we are wise in our discerning, yes. and we see the, the need of the moment, and we're appropriately applying the truths of who God is effectively for this particular person in this particular yeah. need. So I appreciate you nuancing some of that. Now, it's important in the counseling room also that, that we learn the process of discipling this person, teaching this person. So how, how do we take these very important concepts of God and who he is that guide who we are, dictate and describe the beings that we should uh, be and how we live life? How do we teach this to others? Well, that's a good question, uh, Dale. I think, first of all, we have to model it uh, in the counseling room. Mm-hmm. But to beat another drum, this is why it has to be in the local church, because mm-hmm. this person has to see me in the pulpit, out of the pulpit, in the Sunday school room, at the ball game, wherever, in the whole context of life, because that's where they live, not just in that counseling room. So really, it's almost impossible to disciple people in the biblical sense without the local church. It just can't be done in the fullest sense. So it's that, and it's putting them into the context of pastoral care from the elders or others, uh, discipleship relationships, getting them plugged into service and ministry so they're not just sponging it in. You know, they're squeezing it out and serving other people. Again, uh, (laughs) we need the full-orbed ministry of a local church for people to figure out who they are in Christ and then figure out how to serve other people. And, And you do that by observing. They've got to be in people's homes. They've got to be in places where they can observe the things that they're supposed to be doing, uh, as well as getting this kind of cognitive input and, and uh, little bursts of love and, and truth there in the counseling room. 
So there's just a, I tell people you need to have it in local church. And then the local church has to really think in terms of discipleship is more than just say, hey, go read your Bible, pray and come to church. Now you got to teach them how to apply all uh, that I've taught you, as Jesus says in, in the Great Commission. Now, the truth of the matter is you and I could sit here and talk about this particular issue all day long and, and, you know, as we dive into the scripture and the abundance of knowing our immeasurable God and then how that plays out in daily living for us personally and then also for the folks that, that we counsel and, and attend church with. What are some other resources that, that we could go to that would help our thinking in this direction to learn more about God and who he is on a, on a personal level and then applying these things to daily life? Well, you know, the thing that first comes to mind is uh, books like A.W. Pink's you know, Attributes of God, Knowing God by Packer, in terms of general things of who God is and studying those. Even systematic theologies, which are not exactly scintillating read, reading, but, you know, to read the attributes of God and see and study the passages of Scripture. Um, so that's, uh, you know, two books that I think that would help. There's one called The Fear of God, A Forgotten Doctrine. Uh, second edition, it's uh, Ventura, California, Nordscom Publishing, 2007-2008. And it's by Frank Arnold. It's his Demon Project on the Fear of God for our preaching. And then a second one by Al Martin, a uh, well-known Baptist preacher, uh, The Forgotten Fear, Where Have All the God-Fearers Gone? And that's uh, Grand Rapids Christian Heritage Books, 2015, for the fear of the Lord. And then, then some of the things, the, there'll, there'll be the um, workshop, uh, The Fear of the Lord, The Beginning of Counseling, uh, where's a fuller version of this. And then I have two talks on the IBCD website, at their conferences. One is called The Attributes of a Christ-like Counselor in terms of taking Isaiah 11, you know, where it says, and the, the root of Jesse, the stump will be cut off, uh, a root will stump come up, the branch, and he will be what? He'll have these attributes, the counsel, the wisdom and strength. So it's a description of the Messiah and the sixfold uh, ability he has as the wonderful counselor, which I tried to argue in a uh, long ago forgotten article, the the wonderful counselor, the other counselor in you, and the Westminster Theological Journal in terms of saying Christ is the, he's the arch counselor. And then there was also uh, God-centered counseling given at the IBCD conference. And there's some stuff on, uh, uh, in my intro course on fear. How do you deal with people that have fear and distinguishes godly fear from craven fear that really binds people and keeps them uh, but back to the other thing, uh, again, I, I just think uh, studying uh, those key passages, you know, Adam in the garden, and then when God gives him the clothing and, you know, says we're going to send the seed of the woman, you know, Noah, Abraham, and all their lives, when they come face to face with God, you see what he does to people. Mm -hmm. You know, Moses at the bush, and then David, you know, where you, and Isaiah, all those key passages where people see him face to face, and, and then all of a sudden it's going to go, hmm, this kind of high-fiving, good old boy, Jesus, is just not the, the God of the Bible. So I think those are some of the things that people could do that would really round out their, uh, their, their view of God. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. If you were not able to be with us at the conference in Dallas, Light in Darkness, Abuse and Biblical Counseling, you can find this talk by George Scipione 
and many others like it on our website at biblicalcounseling.com.